welcome friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week it's our pleasure to talk to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. And it never ceases to amaze me how many different types of ways we can build a more humane world. And today, my guest is taking me into a new area for my own um, education. Padmalaya Mariposa from Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome to Glocal News. Thank you. Welcome to you for being here with me. I appreciate <laughs> being on the show. Padmalaya has a son named Carson who had been diagnosed as severe autism on the spectrum and now does not have autism. How do we start into this? I think let's start with Carson being born, actually. Um, when Carson was born, so he's, he's 19, so this was 2001, and I was an older mom. I was 35. Actually, it's kind of interesting to me. I had a very easy pregnancy. And it was a very planned pregnancy. I had done all the vitamins and, you know, everything the way you're supposed to. I was healthy, happy. And then I went into labor just slightly early and I had an extremely long labor, two whole days. And I, looking back on it now, I feel like the universe was warning me something troublesome is coming. And Right around that time period is when autism was just beginning to be discussed in the media. And I would hear references or see things, but I really didn't know what that meant. Even though I do have a background as an art therapist and I'm knowledgeable about child development, but more in a psychology realm. And I, I worked with children who had been kicked out of school for behavior problems. So things like depression, ADHD, and I actually even had an amniocentesis and the results came out fine. But my, my ex-husband at the time, you know, we were together, he said, the only thing we have to worry about now is autism. And I, I thought, well, you know, this, I don't even know what this is. This isn't going to happen to me. So when my son was born, things were extremely off kilter immediately he would cry and cry and cry and scream and scream and scream, bloody murder, just nonstop. He could not be soothed. I would carry him and bounce him and rock him and swaddle him tightly. And he would just scream and scream. And it was so hard for him to calm down. And when you got him calmed down, he could very easily be re-inflamed. And this is as a, a newborn infant. He had trouble nursing. He had uh, problems with his digestive system, which were severe, which was actually one of the things that the doctors kind of took seriously in the beginning, but they still didn't really know what to do about it. They told me to go off of soy and go off of dairy because he was getting these things through the breast milk. So I tried that. It didn't work. So as an infant, there were signs that I recognize now as related to autism, because I don't know if you know this, Dick, but it's well known now that most children and people with autism have some kind of dietary challenge. They're 
they call it allergic or intolerant to gluten or casein. Uh, many children have other things like eggs or soy, all kinds of things, but gluten and casein are the really big ones in the autism community. And we found out years later, Carson was intolerant to gluten. So looking back, I realized this was the cause of his digestive problems and possibly some of the screaming and crying because he was physically in pain. So it was just a real nightmare and I wasn't sleeping because he couldn't sleep. I'd put him down, he'd wake up 15 minutes later. And I had been around infants before and I knew this wasn't right. Your mind tells you this is not right but you're just sort of plowing through it and the doctors say, well, it's colic or you're an older parent, so you're anxious, et cetera. But you just still have this feeling that things aren't right and you're struggling. And as you continue to go without sleep, you really struggle more deeply. You can't think straight and emotionally become a wreck, but you feel you need to show to the world, hey, I'm fine, don't worry, I've got this. So. After a few months, we gave up on the nursing and put him on a pre-digested formula. So in essence, the, the protein breakdown issue was no longer an issue, but he still had a lot of trouble. His digestion cleared up, but he still had trouble crying. And just at the smallest thing, he would just freak out and couldn't calm down. He could not tolerate any noises or I, I began to realize and I began to learn about this thing, sensory integration disorder. It can be oversensitivity, it can be undersensitivity, and it can also be just sort of scrambled, like just haywire. Carson's issues were mostly all oversensitivity. He had oversensitivity with all of his senses, auditory, visual, like for example, light. And then there are things too, like motion, um, sometimes they need certain motion or certain kinds of input are beneficial or distracting. There's some things called proprioception, which is pressure. So if you swaddle the baby, you're giving pressure into the body. And that was actually helpful. So that's considered to be a sensory system. But the, one of the really biggest things was that he could not tolerate sound at all. I really couldn't take him anywhere. Really? I mean, people said, well, he just has to get used to it. And I thought, this makes sense. I'll try this. And it didn't work. It was a nightmare. He would just scream bloody murder everywhere. So I, I gave up on that. I realized, okay. Uh, and I started to just realize, okay, we're better off at home. And I would do things like uh, do my grocery shopping when my husband was home or you know, when my parents or my sister could come to visit and I could get out for an hour. But I was really afraid to leave because he was a handful. And I'm, I'm still talking very small infant here, less than six months. So I was afraid to burden other people with him, except my husband really. And my mom seemed to know how to rock him and rock and sway and walk at the same time. You know, as an older woman who'd been around a lot and a lot, a lot of children. So, and we really couldn't even go outside. I, I began to realize that just being outside was overwhelming. Occasionally he seemed to tolerate it, but sometimes just everything, like nothing worked. He also had something I call floppy body. It's actually called hypotonia. 
So he had low muscle tone or the scarecrow. He was like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. You know, after a little while with a, a baby, you start to pull up on their arms and they start holding their head up. None of these kinds of developmental markers physically were on target either. And he just, he looked pale. I even wonder looking back if he had some form of failure to thrive. Because he, if your digestive system is off from gluten intolerance or something like this, you're not absorbing nutrients properly. So then there's sort of a cascade of other things. The muscle development doesn't come along well. So he didn't sit up or crawl or walk at the normal times. He didn't walk. He didn't take his first step until he was 18 months old. So the other thing the doctors took seriously with the development, so first there was the digestive issue, like I said, but when he turned one year old, that's when they want children to really be transitioning to solid food and getting off the bottle and certain types of things. And he wasn't about to do any of those things. <laughs> he wasn't interested in solid food. He would only eat things like Cheerios and that were very dry, crunchy, very easy to chew and swallow. And then the, the formula from the bottle. I could not get him to try anything else that I'd seen other kids devour. Yogurt, oatmeal, etc. He would pull back from it. And I found out they call it food aversion. And it's a sensory issue. His sense of smell was very strong. His sense of taste, his sense of texture about things. And there's no way I was getting that in his mouth. So they sent us to occupational therapy, and that was a nightmare. They just basically kind of tried to show us how to, what I consider to be force feeding him. It didn't work, made things worse in my opinion. So I abandoned that. We, you know, the next year we were just kind of lost. We did have some services from this uh, Help Me Grow agency that will come in and check on you. I had my first visit a little bit after Carson was born. So they were sort of checking in on me. And somewhere along the way, we got hooked up with some county services. There was a, like an early intervention preschool that he started going to this. And it wasn't directly beneficial, but it helped me feel connected to other human beings. And it also showed other people like, so the social worker who worked with us, one time Carson really melted down at the school and she saw it. And she told me later, she was glad she saw that because even with all of her experience and this, the deep kindness, this woman really uh, had in her heart, she still had some seed of doubt that it was as bad as I was saying. But yeah, one day on the playground, he just completely melted down. And yeah, she said to me, I'm really glad I saw that, which was some comfort because when those things would happen, especially in public, it was not only frustrating and scary for me, there was some embarrassment too. Why can I not manage my child? Why do I not know what to do? Why do I not have better instincts? <laughs> I, you know, from a psychological, emotional development standpoint, I hadn't worked with children that young, but I thought here I am, this person that should really know how to manage this. And I did not know what to do. We just had to wait it out. So we fumbled around for 
the first three years, basically. And then some, by magic, because some people from my, my church, we used to go to this Unitarian Universalist church. And there were a couple people in the church who I considered to be wise elders. And they told me about something they heard of through a book and a made-for-TV movie, which was called Sunrise, S-O-N hyphen R-I-S-E. This was the big breakthrough. Say, so I should back up a little bit. Well, this is more than a little bit. At 20 months, Carson went to the neurologist. And then she referred us to some other occupational and speech therapy. And the people she guided us toward were more helpful. They seemed to understand what was going on with him more and have better ability to guide us toward what to do. But we were still really greatly struggling. And right at two years old, the neurologist suggested Prozac. And I'd seen a lot of misuse of medication in my field of work. And my child was small and I was horrified and depressed. And uh, But after a few months, I was so desperate because we just could not function. He couldn't function. I couldn't function. He had also become completely OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And it was like I couldn't even breathe. Everything would trigger him if just things weren't going in the right pattern he wanted. But he could talk a little bit, but he... He couldn't really articulate his wants. He could identify things like cup or milk, but he wouldn't say, well, I, I want you to first turn off the light and then open the door and then close the curtains. You know, like there was a sequence that had to be followed, but we didn't know what it was. So all this combined with the sensory issues and the meltdowns and can't go anywhere and everything has to be quiet, etc. like just really extreme. I finally said, all right, we'll try the Prozac. I decided if it doesn't go well, we'll, we'll stop. And he started on a very, very small dose. It was a liquid. So you could administer specifically the drops and he was little. So he started on two milligrams and I was terrified. I was absolutely mortified and terrified, which is also how I felt, by the way, going back when I had to stop nursing. But I, there again, I was desperate. The effect of the Prozac was to do what I called grease the wheels and turn the tide. It did help settle him a little bit. It, didn't, it was not a magic bullet, but it helped things shift into a more workable situation. It just calmed him down just enough. That was at two and a half. And then when he was three, it was when I discovered the Sunrise program. So we were really working hard. We were coming along, but we were still really struggling. And, you know, you're scared at that point, too. You, you're thinking, what's going to be the future of my child? I found out later on when he was six years old that he had this gluten intolerance. We got up the courage to have him go for a blood test. And he was actually old enough to cooperate with it at that point. And I thought, wow, why didn't they figure that out in the beginning? Mm -hmm. Knowing what I know now about how common this is in autism, if somebody told me they had a baby with those symptoms that Carson had, the sensory sensitivity and the digestive distress, I would say, well, try going off gluten and see what happens. So the Sunrise people were a family who had a child with autism. 
and it was their third child. At that time, all of the treatments were things that were pretty horrifying, and they decided they would apply their philosophical principles to this situation and just get really present with him and be what they call a happy observer and just try to connect with him and maybe through their observations of being in in presence with him, they would figure out what to do. So that is actually what happened. So this is uh, Barry and Samaria Kaufman? Yes. When did the word autism Mm. get applied to Carson in your case and to Ron in their case? That's a good question. That is one that people often want to know as well. For my situation, before we went to the neurologist, there were three people who had suggested that we consider going to a neurologist. And one of them was somebody else from the church who was a speech and language pathologist. And she saw Carson melt down at church one day because we had tried to take him in the beginning. And knowing what she knew, I think she recognized it. And she did say to me, don't be alarmed if the neurologist mentions autism. But the neurologist did not like to diagnose unless there was a specific reason to do that that was concretely beneficial. For example, accessing better treatment in some way, because it can be stigmatizing. Mm And non-purposeful was her approach to that. But she did bring it up. And I I became aware at that point that he had symptoms of that. And so during that time period, I realized, well, that's probably what this is. But there was no rush to put any label, no reason to put a label on that. Ron Kaufman, I think, was diagnosed around the age of one and a half with classic autism. Carson eventually did get a diagnosis which is in the autism category, technically it's called PDD-NOS. It stands for Pervasive Developmental Disorder Not Otherwise Specified. It means that he fits all of the criteria except for maybe one thing doesn't quite exactly match up perfectly. So Carson got that diagnosis when he turned five because we thought he would be able to go to this special school that was in Cleveland. And it turned out by that time, between three years old and five years old with the Sunrise program, he had progressed too much to qualify for a special needs school. Wow. Interestingly, there's no way I would have put him in a, like a, a typical public school because it just wouldn't have worked for him. He was still a very unique and somewhat idiosyncratic individual. He definitely still had autism. And when he didn't get into that school, we had looked everywhere. We were at a loss. We thought we might end up homeschooling him. We ended up getting into Montessori, and that went well. That each autistic child or person of any age is completely unique. There's certain characteristics that you you might identify or tend to cluster in certain ways, but yes, it's a spectrum and it each person is very unique. So with uh, Sunrise, it sounds as though you had a, almost a complete change of perception as to how to look at Carson. 100%. That's one of the really main things about Sunrise is to look at it as a gift and not a tragedy. 
because many parents have a story about how when they first start going to the doctor and get diagnosed and so on, it's treated like a tragedy. People and, and professionals will take the attitude of, oh no, I'm sorry, that's so terrible. Mm-hmm. But yes, the Sunrise Program takes a completely opposite attitude that that makes all the difference. So if I believe there's some positive outcome in some way for what's happening with my life and my child we're going to approach it differently we're going to be open and move in towards it whereas if we're seeing it as something bad we're going to turn away from it and not want to address it and I remember literally actually sitting in Carson's playroom he's twirling his hands and feet I think I was kind of depressed at this point. Maybe he was about a year, year and a half. And I would just want to stare out the window and, and, you know, just sit there and hope it would go away and knowing it's not going to, and I could not engage with him. And when I discovered sunrise in this different attitude, I remember deciding he was made this way for a reason. This is absolutely for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but I believe I'm going to find out later. And actually the people who teach the Sunrise program, they have a a very connected entity. They refer to it as the Option Institute. They talk about a concept, they call it the causes in the future, that you'll find out the reason for something later on. Like what was the cause of Carson having autism? I was not meant to know in that present time. I was meant to maybe know in the, the future, the cause would reveal itself in the future. So I was able to set that aside. And with this idea of thinking, well, the universe created this situation on purpose and it is something good. And I will find out later on, I could kind of breathe a sigh of relief and just relax and get present with Carson. And even another step further, I could look at the things he was doing and actually appreciate them. And I could think to myself, wow, he is really special and unique. He's amazing. Wow, I can't twirl my hands and feet like that. I don't have that skill. Things like that where you you create ways of just being on the other side of the coin. And it, it's a total game changer. It's just like on a dime, everything changed by doing that. And the idea of being able to get present. So in your mind and your spirit and physically is also a game changer. And I remember two weeks after we started doing this, and my husband was very involved. I went out to do an errand and my husband was with Carson for a little while. When I walked back in, he actually looked at me and said, hi, mama, but he had never done that. And this was at three years old. He, like I said, he had some words, but he only would use them to identify things mostly, or maybe in a basic way, ask for something or communicate a need, but, but mostly not so much. And the eye contact was definitely poor. That was another thing. I, I neglected to mention that earlier. It's, you know how sometimes you know something in your own realm of specificity so much, you might forget to actually point it out. Mm-hmm. I think that is something people have heard of that kids with poor eye contact and autism are definitely a, a major thing. Mm-hmm. And that was another aspect of that. Not only did he say, hi, mama, spontaneously, he wasn't prompted to do it by his dad. He just spontaneously made eye contact and said, hi, mama, clear as a bell, just normal. And then 
a week or so later, the opposite happened where when my husband walked in the same door, he looked up at him and said, hi, hi, daddy. And we were in shock. We looked at each other and thought, wow, this works well and it works fast. That was a big result very quickly. So we just, you know, ran with it. I, I, when I had found out about the book from the people at church, okay, so this goes back a little bit, Dick, actually. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you something about Finding Sunrise. Yeah, you're, you're, doing it, you're doing it like they do in the movies now. Oh. Little flashbacks to go back and pick up the story. So right. I think people are getting used to this. It's, it is kind of an interwoven story in certain ways. Yeah. Well, so when those two people told me about Sunrise, when the first one mentioned it, actually, I didn't, I didn't really grasp onto it because I just, I didn't know it was this big unknown world. You don't know what to pay attention to and what, what's going to help you and what's not. And I was so overwhelmed. Um, but later on, when another person mentioned it, I thought, hmm. Um, and I actually was able to find the book at the library on my way home that very day, just by coincidence. I lived in a, a big county with a a big library system and the, the one book was in that one library that one day <laughs> and when I read the beginning of it I immediately recognized this is it and the one of the big things was that they're the son of the couple um Ron. The son of Barry Neil Yakoffin and Samaria yeah Ron it's it's spelled R-A-U-N that he fully recovered so when I found that out I thought oh well, if one child can recover, that means my child can recover. Mm -hmm. I really didn't care about numbers. I, that was not meaningful to me at all. In my opinion, if, if all it takes is one, mm -hmm. I didn't need to know any studies or a hundred kids or a thousand kids or 10 or 50 or anything. I, that meant the whole thing to me, one. And I, I remember telling my husband, this is it. This is what we're doing. I didn't even read the whole book because I didn't need to. After I read the beginning part of what they did and, and how they got into this thing, they call it the attitude and being present and create a non-overstimulating environment, et cetera, I, I just knew it. Um, but part of how I knew that came from my past of being an art therapist and working with these children who had some similar issues, but the problems came from a different source. A lot of these children had um, very stressful or traumatic situations in their lives. So they had become, you know, reach, they would retreat into themselves because, you know, the world was a traumatic place. If, if they were say from an abusive home or had experienced some kind of actual abuse or trauma, et cetera, and they withdrew. Kids with autism withdraw because they're having some other types of things happen. You know, and that actually kind of scared me that similarity because I thought, well, I'm not an abusive parent. I'm a good, I'm a loving parent. Right. Um, but it's, it's other types of things that make that happen. However, in my work as an art therapist, I was taught, and I always remembered this, my first mentor 
told me it's all about the relationship. When you start to feel worried when you're learning about how to be a therapist and you say, well, what do I do if this happens? And what do I do if that happens? And you're really a little nervous. She said, that's your, your default to where you focus. Focus on the relationship. It's all about the relationship. That's what carries you through everything. And that's what matters the most is the connection of the relationship. So I had that ringing in my mind in this situation with my son. And that's something that the Sunrise program talks about, mm -hmm. the connection and the relationship. It's all about the relationship and trust actually in there too. And so, up to that time, it sounds like as much as you wanted a relationship, you kept seeing it uh, slip away from you because of these things you couldn't understand and couldn't control. Right. And it's not, so some parents do have a situation, you may have heard about this, and I think this happened with Ron, where he developed normally for the first year, year and a half, and then something caused them to slip away. Ah. Um, that's very common, but in Carson's situation, like I said, he was basically, I say he came out of the box that way, <laughs> came out of the gate. Right. And other kids, that does happen. So for me, it was like he was never there in the first place, and I just couldn't access him. Um, and he was just wrapped in all of these challenges and just couldn't, like he's trapped in something. And I, I couldn't, yeah, reach him. And I never could. It, it was really just so scary. And another thing for me too, which I think I'll mention here, which is probably relevant to some people, I had also wanted to have more children. I think, uh, you know, it's a great idea if somebody wants to have one child, but I really wanted to have at least two children but then my life was so crazy, I thought, oh, I, how would I handle this? I, I started going around saying, well, if I could be guaranteed an easy baby. <laughs> and actually, when Carson was born, I used to say, uh, this is not the child I ordered. I, I ordered an easy baby. Oh. I asked the stork to bring an easy baby <laughs> that, that slept, slept well and was cheerful. Um, so yeah, you just, <laughs> all, a lot of emotions go with these things, you know, frustration and loss and grief and, and so on. And yeah, when you can't connect with your child, it's really feels heartbreaking. Some parents have stories of if their child has a, a moment where that first time they say, I love you, that feels like a big breakthrough for them. For me, I think it was that day when Carson said, hi, mama. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and started to connect. You know what's interesting too, I really want to highlight here because I was saying that that's what you do. You bring yourself, your presence to them. That's really key, I think. So we talk about what's quote unquote wrong with the child. But really what is happening with the Sunrise Program and what happened for me, which is a big flip, is that it was an opportunity for me to improve myself. So instead of the focus being, well, Carson is not doing this. He's not doing that. He is not connecting with me. He is not giving me eye contact. 
he is not opening himself up to me. The, the focus becomes that I, the I or the adult needs to do the thing that I want him to do. So if I want him to make eye contact with me, I needed to make eye contact with him. Right. And I needed to, as much as possible, and Sunrise talks about this, position for eye contact. I spent a lot of time focused on this, getting in front of him and at his eye level or below to make it really easy. If you're right in front of somebody and also if you are cheerful and loving, they're gonna want to connect with you. And another big thing that they have is something called joining where you join them in their world. So if somebody is interested in what you're interested in, so they, they bring themselves to you, their, their loving presence, and they're interested in what you're interested in, they show interest in that, you just want to connect, you can't help it. So I had to learn to be a happier person and a more joyful person and that was actually a challenge too, even though here I was, I had a master's degree in a therapeutic field and I was a good, kind and nice person, but I wasn't at this level where I could be joyful and cheerful, even if my life was not going the way I wanted it to. And actually, so we think back, Carson was born in 2001. When he was about, well, I don't know, four or five months old is when 9-11 happened. Uh, wow. mm -hmm. So that further made this a really scary time. I remember holding him and, you know, he's still doing his thing. He doesn't care. The world's coming to an end, right? And I'm thinking, oh, the, the world is, what is going on that day? Carson actually was recently asking me, because something to do with the presidential elections, he was asking me to talk about what I remember from that day. Mm. And I told him about how it was really scary because we knew that at some point we realized the country was being attacked, but we didn't know what was gonna happen. And I thought, here I am out in the country by myself. Not only do I have a newborn, I have this newborn that is having these severe problems. So all these things. So whatever it is that's going on in life, to be able to push that aside and and just really be in this moment and say, well, but I'm going to be cheerful with you right now. If you like the alphabet and the ABC Dr. Seuss book, I'm going to love that with you. And if you want to read that over and over again, we're going to read that over and over again. And I'm going to love it every time. And I'm going to love that you love this book. And I'm just going to be, you know, I had somebody call me a superconductor of love. All right. Time I developed this. <laughs> but children can be very motivating this way because it's, it's your child. I felt a really deep responsibility toward my child. I had really, this was a very, very planned pregnancy. My husband and I, we'd been together for a long time and we weren't going to have children, but we changed our minds. Ah. Got married mm -hmm. and because we decided, well, that's the proper way to do it, you know, get married and then have the child. And so it was very thought out. So 
I had a deep sense of responsibility and having worked with kids who had problems and I don't know, I just had this in my mind and probably things to do with my upbringing that I, I took it really seriously. And I felt like, oh, I'm responsible for this child. It's, this is on me. So on the one hand, that was uh, like a weight or something. But on the other hand, it was a big motivation. I think it helped me a lot that I took it really seriously. I used to say to my husband, if we don't do this, no one else is gonna do it. We have to do this. This is not an option. The, The Sunrise program, people talk about, you really do have a choice. If you feel pressure about whatever therapies or something you with your child, the diet, et cetera, you really don't, you don't have to. You can wake up every morning and say to yourself, you know, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? But for myself, I, I felt like, no, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I have to do this. He needs me. He's dependent on me. My, when, when he was born, my dad used to say, isn't it nice to be needed? And I thought, no, not like this, because this is scary needed. I'm really terrified. To be needed and not know what to do mm-hmm. is terrifying. Um, and when you think someone else is in pain and when your child is in pain, I think any parent who has had a child who has ever experienced any form of pain, they had the flu or they broke their arm or anything ever happened, I feel that's the worst thing. <laughs> I used to say, I'd, I'll give my right arm <laughs> for him to not have to suffer. Uh, <laughs> so I really poured myself into it. This became my whole life, just like the Kaufmans did. I knew that was the other key, to pour yourself into it. Um, How did you have time to pour yourself? Oh, that's a really great question. I was very fortunate that I was, uh, we had already planned that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Because we both liked that philosophically. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom had worked, actually. And I had a a caregiver, which which was fine. But and my ex-husband had both things. His mom didn't work till he was a certain age. And then when the kids in his family got to a certain point, she uh, did work. Mm -hmm. And we just decided that was philosophically how we wanted to go about this. So that was extremely fortunate that we had made that decision and we were financially able to do that. It's a big point, uh, I think. Yes, I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, worth Actually, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I sometimes ask people when they contact me and you know want to talk about their situation, I ask if both parents are working and if they say yes, I say, do you both need to work? And I know it's sometimes something people might not want to think about or address or, you know, women working nowadays is a big thing in society. Um, but I, I think it makes a difference because I felt like who is going to be a warrior for my child more than me? Right. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Really. I mean, there are people, you can find people to help you. And that's also a big part of what, Sunrise advocates, and I advocate that too, to find help because it's really draining. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like I'm I'm the best 
I'm the best expert, which is another sunrise principle. As the parent, you are the best expert. You know your child better than anyone. Um, I know there are people who really can't do that. And actually, you know what, Dick, something else I've started to think about recently, which could end up being controversial, but uh, I'm very fortunate. I did not, I feel fortunate that I did not end up deciding to try to have another child either, because I do not think Carson would have recovered. I don't think I could have done it. Um, It's just really hard. It took everything I had for five straight years everything I had in me. Um, And you really also, you find things within you that you really didn't know that were there. Uh, It's extremely draining. But that whole idea of finding help, like the Coffins had two older children and they, they asked people to help and volunteer. So there are still ways to do that. I do have one friend actually who um, did quit her job for a period of time because I asked her that and she quit for a while for quite a few years. She did eventually go back to work, Mm -hmm. but quite a few years, she, she quit working and it helped a lot. Um, so yeah, but you know what else along with that, that I think was helpful is I was willing to make the choice and the decision to abandon anything I had in my mind about what my life was going to be like, what I wanted for my life. I had a, you you have a vision of what your family life is going to be like. You know, we, we thought, well, we're going to go do things together. We're going to go for hikes in the park. We're going to, um, I'd seen, you know, people just include their child in their life and getting out and about in the world, socializing with their their friends or eating in restaurants and going to the county fair or whatever kinds of going swimming. And um, none of this could happen in our life. And I was able to abandon that and really let go of it. And that can be very difficult. Um, that's, that is a very big challenge. What I say is that it's like the ship is sinking that kind of, I don't know if this is true in reality, but that story about if the ship is sinking, like you see on a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something, throwing everything overboard so that it doesn't make the ship sink. I imagined in my life, I was throwing everything overboard. And it wasn't just activities. It was things like the idea of having a clean house or keeping up with my laundry or something. It just wasn't going to happen. And it wasn't, nothing was more important than Carson. Nothing was more important. And I, I knew also, if I can do this, I'll have a quote unquote normal life later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I can have, I'll, I'll have that later, but that doesn't, doesn't matter. So actually another thing happened with this, that it shifted my priorities mm-hmm. to a better place. And again, I was this good, nice person, but it took me to another level yeah. with that. That was a really good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, cause of the, not just that surface part, but the, the levels of that. And I think that's actually, uh, one reason why there aren't more kids recovered when sometimes people do kind of know they need to pour themselves into this, but it's really hard yeah. to let go and not see it as a sacrifice. 
again, another sunrise principle, this, what am I sacrificing? Because I'm doing what I want to do. I want to help my child. I want to guide my child toward healing and well-being. So I'm not sacrificing anything whatsoever. The other way around would be a sacrifice. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm sorry, I have so many thoughts. There's so many things I wanted to also say about the issue of other children. It is well known now that autism has many components, but one of them is genetic. Absolutely. And I went to genetic counseling and at the local hospital and they told me that there was a possibility of that and they could have done like chromosome testing and so on. And I, as soon as they told me that, I said, nope, never mind. I don't even want to, I can't do this again. I, I cannot begin to imagine going through this again. If it's because you still, you still don't know what's going to happen for sure. But I didn't want to roll that dice. So I think if somebody has a child with autism and they do, no, I would encourage them not to have another child really, unless they, they should understand, maybe I should put it this way. They should really understand what that risk is and what that means for their life. Mm -hmm. And do, do that with full knowledge. Yeah, but for me, I feel like having one child was instrumental in his recovery um and then actually this is a separate issue but um then when i got divorced later that's been a benefit to me i i look at people who have multiple kids and i think how do they juggle multiple kids even you know typical children that's an, that's another level of parenting mm -hmm. that i was exhausted after what i went through so um I couldn't even think about those things, but. Uh, now you have uh, started sharing uh, publicly things that can help others, which uh, yes. I've watched some of your YouTubes. Uh, mm. I think what people could go to autism and beyond. Is that the way they would find you on YouTube? Right. Yes. And on Facebook. And on Facebook. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just started my YouTube channel this year. I do have some old videos on there from about four years ago mm -hmm. um, that I think are still relevant. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it, tur it turned out I just wasn't really ready to go full bore. But now life is in a different place. You know, Carson's 19. And I think you heard he got his driver's license. Oh, yeah. I heard that. Uh, driver's license. Uh, this is fantastic and and he has his own car that he has been working and saving mm -hmm. and so he's you know our life is at a level where things can shift and i can focus in this other direction so now we're at that point where the when i was talking about the causes in the future mm -hmm. here we are now i can share my story with other people and hopefully i can help them mm -hmm. in some way because another thing I talk about sometimes is I will never forget what this is like. And I will also never go back to how I was before. Again, even though it wasn't bad, I have been forced to be at a, another level for myself, a deeper level. Um, I, it, it's a little dicey to use the word better, but 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more patient. I'm, I'm, I'm more, uh, in, in touch with my own self, my, my intuition, let's say I'm more understanding and compassionate things like that. I'm more concerned with, I'm more aware of and concerned about natural health and, oh, and here's a big thing. Um, having a peaceful life. I think that is a really big deal for healing. I think that's part of why the Sunrise program worked because we stayed at home. And I, I really have a deep appreciation for peace. Mm -hmm. You used the word forced and I'm going to challenge <laughs> that word. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, because Sunrise teaches that it, it becomes a choice at some point. You may feel as though you were forced, but uh, the ways that you and your husband at the time actually embraced the program, so to speak, the process. Yes, uh, that, I think I use that word because when the autistic child shows up in your life, you're you are you're at a crossroads. You have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't. You can't say, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I felt like the, the baby bird being kicked out of the nest by the universe, just in a super general sense. But yes, right. I was not forced. It was a, absolutely a choice for sure. And every day, um, don't you think we uh, are presented with choices mm -hmm. uh, and we may not see them as uh well, I have no choice in this matter. I mean, I have to do this or I have to do that. I, I use a phrase, uh, substitute the word get for the word have. So I get to do. Mm, yes, right. To do that, rather than I have to. So yeah. rather than it being forced, it becomes an opportunity. Oh, yes. And that seems to be the transition that you all went through. Right. I even have gotten to a stage where this will sound really bizarre. So like, for example, I was, I got to have the experience of having a child with autism is how I look at it now. I've actually had experiences where I see sort of typical families and this is a spontaneous thing. Okay. Where I think, oh, I feel bad for them because I think sometimes we can, and that's not to judge anybody. I'm just saying that I've gone to this other place where I think if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have the same depth of appreciation for having a child and that special connection you can have and, you know, just love itself and connections of friends, all kinds of things. It just made me like every, the world became tech, went from black and white to technicolor mm -hmm. or just like kind of that low grade color to everything is technicolor. Like I, I woke up and I, yes, I realized that I get to do other things and the where you do have choice in your life. And that reminds me also of how, even for example, uh, doing the Sunrise program, the Sunrise program is a non-mainstream treatment approach. Mm -hmm. And I also learned to not care what other people think about what I'm doing. Speaking of choice, mm -hmm. I choose what I want and what is right for me. And I feel that that's valid and I feel comfortable and confident with 
choosing that way. And I have taught that to Carson, which also dovetails with Montessori education. Are, right. I don't know if you're, are you very familiar with yes, Montessori? Yes, my, uh, my grandkids have been in Montessori uh, mm -hmm. for a time, yeah. Well, they, they teach that type of thinking mm -hmm. um, and they talk about critical thinking. Carson was in Montessori all the way through. So this has become our lifestyle to really be critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. And he's very good at that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, it's sometimes in your life you think, well, I, I just want to be normal. I want, you know, you want a normal child. But then I, I crossed some point where I realized, wait a minute, why did I want to be normal? I don't want to be normal. I want to be unique. Yes, everyone is unique. I feel like he can make whatever choices are right for him. And we can all be unique. And we don't have to be any one specific way. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways that this sort of philosophically blows the doors off your life. And if he had stayed autistic, that's, you know, he can be really amazing and wonderful that way too. Mm -hmm. And when he was autistic, and it's, it's sort of a interesting twist that you accept that and you enjoy what that is, you know, your choice to say, well, I love, I love autism. Yeah. He's so interesting. I mean, his mind, once he got a little older too, his mind was fascinating. <laughs> and, and to always be able to be in that place of, yeah, choosing. So how did you socialize Carson or did he have a lot of contact with other kids his age? That's a really interesting question because during the autism years, he spent most of his time having one-on-one -on -one interactions with either adults or older children, like his cousins who were older, uh, because you're really not going to achieve recovery if the child is interacting with children their own age. And there can be really a lot of conflict in that. Um, and as a result of that, he became very mature mentally and emotionally and intellectually and never kind of ended up having a lot of interest in kids his own age. And another thing that dovetails with that is that technology and a lot of television and so on and video games is uh, not part of the protocol. You want to get these things out of your life. So he was also not um, sucked into wanting to be like, you know, the other kids or doing the popular thing and sucked into trends, the very independent thinking and very mature. So it's, uh, it's been kind of a challenge, but it's also been positive. He, he can relate to kids his own age, but it's just, he's more, he's always been more mature. So did you have a choice as to uh, what your last name is? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So when I got divorced, I, I decided I, I wanted to choose a spiritual name for myself. Padmalaya is a nickname for the goddess Lakshmi from Hindu tradition. I resonated with a lot of things related to Lakshmi. Padmalaya means one who sits on the lotus, literally. So Mariposa means butterfly. And that has multiple significance because I feel that my time working with Carson and his autism was the time in the cocoon. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, we both could fly mm -hmm. and be free and transformed. 
But in order for that transformation to take place, we, we had to go into the cocoon. So it was a metaphor for the, the whole of everything. Um, and then also with divorce, I felt like, um, you know, there's sort of a, a shift in my perception of how I'm operating within myself. But it had a lot to do with Carson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, transformation. So that was how that happened. Well, thank you. That's that's a delightful uh, um, icing on the cake of, of a story about uh, autism. Yeah. And choosing, right? You can choose. I didn't actually, I didn't change my name legally. I used my, my you know, my old name for legal things and, mm -hmm. you know, it just became like, well, that's not really necessary. It's, it's not a requirement of life to do that. So I kind of, I made that choice also to not make it more complicated than it needed to be. Um, and it was interesting to see how, pe it's interesting to see how people respond if you do something that's a little unusual, <laughs> but really people the majority of people didn't flinch. I think they already knew I was a little off the beaten track. <laughs> They're used to me <laughs> being not not typical. Um, we have that in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, it's really great now to be at a point where Carson is nineteen, and that I can tell he feels comfortable being a unique individual, and I'm excited to see how that ends up playing out in his adult life. Well, now we all are. So, uh, <laughs> right, everybody, hold your, uh, I guess we shouldn't hold our breath, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. No, he's, thank uh, good thoughts, yeah. Taking an independent path. He's, so we're gonna wrap up uh, Padmalaya Mariposa. Uh, this has been just a great education for me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity there. It just pours out of me, I guess, huh? Wonderful. Well, it's certainly our pleasure. Friends, wherever you are, remember that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon. <laughs>